Good afternoon and welcome to the City View podcast with me, Andy Sylvester, editor here at City AM. In a minute or two, I'll be joined by Michael Houston, the Chief Markets Analyst at CMC Markets. We'll whistle through recent PMI numbers, look ahead to a troublesome Q2 in store for UK PLC as well as the UK economy, and we'll look ahead to interest rates going up over the coming year, as well as equity markets. Surprising or otherwise resilience in the face of 101 headwinds. Always good to have Michael on the programme. For now, though, the corporate headlines, and it's been announced that Elon Musk will take a seat on the board of Twitter just a day after it was really taken a 10% stake in the social media giant. Twitter's newish CEO, Parag Agrawal, tweeting today, what else would he do, I suppose, um, that the entrepreneur would join. Musk said he was looking forward to contributing as much as possible. It does feel a little bit of the fox in the hen house variety, but we will wait and see. Uh, Agrawal said Musk is both a passionate believer and intense critic of the service, which is exactly what we need on Twitter and in the boardroom to make us stronger in the long term. Um, analysts said Musk would ruffle feathers in his new home. Sorry for that. Uh, elsewhere, close to home, the chief of the London Stock Exchange has called for bosses' pay to be boosted if the cities continue to attract top firms and talent. Speaking at the Innovate Finance Global Summit today, Julia Hoggett said that the UK needed to have a grown-up conversation about the remuneration of executives if it's going to tempt firms to do business here. The reality is, she said, that if we want the best companies to start here, scale here, and grow here, and stay here, then we need to be able to make sure that we can reward the best people. And that becomes part of celebrating and understanding the value of the company and having proper grown-up conversations about what remuneration is, but also the alignment incentives. Hoggett said the UK was lagging behind the US, where of course non-exec directors can benefit from compensation in shares as well as cash, amongst other things. That may seem radical, she said, but it's not radical in most other parts of the world. Don't forget, of course, the EU's bonus cap, a thing of the past the UK not doing much about its own interpretation of it. And the government has announced a survey into fracking ahead of the unveiling of its energy strategy expected to be published on Thursday. Downing Street has commissioned the British Geolog- Geological Society sorry, to advise on the latest scientific evidence around shale gas extraction. PM Boris Johnson imposed a moratorium on fracking in 2019 following concerns over tremors and years of protests. And indeed, it was only earlier this year that Quadrilla, the only real player in the shale gas market in the UK, and the, frac- the fracking market, sorry, in the UK, was told to plug its wells in Lancashire. Could this be the start of a U-turn? We shall see. The government is certainly not afraid of doing unpopular things, as we have seen with the Channel 4 privatisation going through. Elsewhere, go ahead of pleased markets a little, shares up 3%, finally offering a plan to move on from the southeastern debacle and errors on tenders in Germany. Transport Group hoping to boost revenues to around 4 billion a year. Moss Brothers, uh, the suit company, not so much a suit company anymore. A new casual range of clothing appears set to allow them to move to expansion, taking advantage of discount rents elsewhere on the high street. And that's all for the corporate world. Uh, Plenty of news analysis on cityam.com if you need more of it, as well as in your paper tomorrow morning. But for now, joined, as I say, by Michael Hewson, Chief Markets Analyst at CMC Markets. Michael, always a pleasure to have you on the programme. Thank you, Andy. Always good to be here. Why don't we, we were talking just before we, we popped the record button on about um, about PMIs out today. They are backward mm. looking. For you, it might be the high point. It does. It does feel that way. I think there's an element of inventory restocking in those March numbers. It's sort of post plan B restrictions or post coming out plan B restrictions. And I think an awful lot of manufacturers and businesses would have been looking to um, restock inventories before big price rises kick in. Certainly, as we look at Q1, I think Q1 is likely to be 
a fairly decent quarter for the UK economy. Q2 is going to face significant challenges, notwithstanding 54% rise in fuel bills for consumers, something that really businesses in the UK, you know, won't have that buffer. So, and I think as we look ahead, we've got rising expectations, rising inflation expectations that's likely to weigh on consumer confidence over the course of the next few months. And as such, I think the silver lining, the only silver lining that I can think of is obviously that we're heading into summer and our energy price or our energy use will fall back significantly, even if, you know, even obviously we still have to absorb the fact that we have to fill up our tanks at around about 160 a litre, which is what I just filled up at um, around about four or five hours ago. That's a not cheap tank of fuel, to say the very least. Let's talk about that consumer confidence element. I mean, there was a survey out earlier this week from uh, PwC, I believe it was, essentially UK consumer confidence down to the level that it was at just after Lehman collapsed. That's the scale that we're talking. So, yeah, you're right. As we head into the summer short, we might not have the heating on as it hopefully heats up, although signs remain Signs remain fairly distant on that front today as I look yeah. out at a very grey city of London. Um, but that consumer confidence, that'll be felt right across the economy, right? Because prices are going up everywhere. I've never heard people outside of the city square mile who keep remarking to me, God, everything's going up. My gym membership went up last week. That's going to weigh on consumer confidence and that's got to worry economists looking at the UK's recovery from COVID-19 more generally, because if you're not going to get the bounce back out of COVID-19, and we're already looking at trend growth being pretty pedestrian in a couple of years' time, if you look at the projections, it doesn't present a particularly dynamic picture of an economy on the move, does it? No, it doesn't. And obviously, the UK economy is very much services driven. So, you know, you talked about gym memberships. I mean, anyone with a Streaming subscription will also, um, you know, be party to inflationary pressures. My Sky subscription has gone up by 8%, um, which is around about the level of the RPI, with wage growth at around about half that. Um, you know, the, the, the challenge for consumers' um, discretionary income is likely to be challenged for several months now, and I don't think we've even hit the high watermark when it comes to inflation, if we looked at the most recent inflation numbers out of the UK, it wasn't just food and energy that was going up, it was pretty much everything else. So you're looking at furniture, you're looking you know, at household goods more broadly, and it's really getting to the point now where you're going to have to shop around when it comes to buying not only everyday goods and services, but also discretionary spending. And I think you know, while, while we look back over the course of the past two years, certainly the UK consumer is probably in a better place now as a consequence of furlough and the residual effects of that. I think the next 12 months are likely to be much more challenging than I think markets are pricing in. And I think central banks are faced with a a significant dilemma. Mm. Ultimately, do they allow inflation to let rip and be very cautious about rate hikes? Or do they raise interest rates um, to try and get ahead of inflation expectations that could be much more persistent um, than perhaps markets are currently pricing in? Yeah, I will come back to central banks in just a minute because I do want to dig into that, some new projections out 
um, today from JP Morgan or what the bank might do, central bank here. Mm. But just on that point about market resilience, I think if you were to, if you were to explain to somebody, you know, just arriving from an alien arriving from Mars, who was cognizant of how stock markets and equity markets worked, um, that there was a war on mainland Europe that we were facing generationally high inflation amidst all the other headwinds in the global economy from supply chains being gummed up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They'd look at the markets and say, well, they seem rather resilient. Yeah, but the the question you have to ask yourself is where do you put your money? Where are you most likely to get the best return? And by that, I don't mean a positive return. I I would suggest a least negative return. If If you keep your money in cash, you're losing in real terms to the tune of around about 6 or 7% a year, because essentially that's where our currently, current levels of CPI are. If you look at the bond market, yields are still relatively low historically and, and have been since 2008. And that really, I think, then leads you towards the direction of equities and mm. equity markets in particular. Now, the FTSE 100 is currently just below 7,600. What you've got to factor in in terms of the FTSE 100 is very heavily weighted towards commodities. Now, obviously, we're seeing a significant commodity super cycle potentially unfolding, and that is helping the FTSE 100. But you're also seeing a significant rebound in markets more broadly. But that market rebound needs to be focused in terms of very specific sectors. So you wouldn't expect retail to perform well, you wouldn't expect airlines to perform well. There are certain parts of the UK economy that have underperformed consistently um, over the course of the past two years. Certainly retail has been part and parcel of that. But unlike previous years and concerns about high inflation and recession, employment levels are still fairly high. And I think that is what that is the prism of which markets are looking at. They're looking at low unemployment levels. They're looking at wage growth that is likely to continue to rise in the hope that inflation will eventually come down and meet those levels of wage growth. So I think the perception is this is a shock that while um, it's likely to be temporary, could well get absorbed by the fact that unemployment levels are very low at this point in time. Mm. Now that may change. So that may change. Um, that may change, yeah. and there certainly isn't scope in public finances for any. You know, less we see another. It's always difficult to look into the you know the future too far, but yeah, you know, we're not. I think that's the problem. I think that's the problem at the moment. There is no sort of you can't look back with any degree of certainty. There's no historical precedent. Mm. For this. Yeah, there isn't because you're looking at record low yields negative real yields in some cases, in most cases, and you're looking at central banks who are on the horns of a dilemma, whether to raise rates and cause a recession or to allow inflation to let rep and cause a recession or a slowdown. Yeah, well, that's... So this is essentially where we are. Yeah, I mean, that's what... The horns of a dilemma is a good way to put it. I mean, there's lots of forecasts and projections around about what the Bank of England might do when it comes to rates. Um, One's just dropped this afternoon from JP Morgan. Um, Upgrading their forecast to four this year from two um, and the rate hitting around two and a half percent by the middle of next year. Um, That sound about right to you? Too far, too fast, too slow? 
It's, you know, as, as I said, we're on a horns of a dilemma. If you believe that the Federal Reserve is going to hike interest rates this year by around seven or eight times, then by virtue of trying to keep the pound above 130, then the Bank of England needs to at least try and hang on to the Federal Reserve's coattails because essentially a lower pound um, delivers an inflationary impulse or an inflationary shock to the UK economy. And the Bank of England won't want that to happen. So for me, that, that sounds fairly reasonable. The big question is, will they be able to do it? And more importantly, what would the Fed do? Will the Fed be able to follow through on their expectation, or particularly some um, FOMC members' expectation of seven rate rises this year on a Fed funds rate of 3%. There is an awful lot of scepticism and an awful lot of split opinion as to what the Fed wants to do and what they'll be able to do. And I think for most investors, and for me included, it's really a case of suck it and see with respect to rate hikes. We'll get 50 basis points in May from the Federal Reserve. I think that's pretty much now gone. Mm. The bigger question is, what will the Bank of England do in response to that? And I think it's quite likely that we will certainly see um, 1.5% base rate by the end of this year. Now, whether or not we'll see two is another, is, is another matter entirely. A lot will depend on how persistent these currently high um, energy price levels are as we head into the autumn. Yeah, with the prospect, of course, of the energy price cap going up yet again yeah. in October um, by some projections up to as much as two and a half grand or maybe even three grand. Um, we will wait and see. I think we've got a fairly wild ride to come. Um, we'll speak to you again in a fortnight. Thank you as ever, Michael. Thank you. And that's all from us at The City View today. We'll see you again tomorrow.